There we go. Don't mind the furniture change here. As the pulpit minister, I have to minister to many pulpits, and uh, the other one was doing so well that I thought this one needed my attention. Um, It's just one of those little things that we're always working on to repair stuff. You know, one of the things I'm thankful for, and I've become aware of this more and more this week, I'm thankful for the facilities and the resources that we have here. As we're thinking about the, uh, uh, the campus ministry and the process of hiring that goes on there, conversations I've had with people, uh, they affirm that we have got a great opportunity being located where we're at and having the facilities that we have. Last Sunday, our Lions for Christ group worked on their facilities, and they, uh, they did some great work. And I am thankful not only for the facilities we have, I am more thankful for the people who work on these things and work on these projects and make all of this possible. And that's you. That's many of you. And I want to say this. If you've ever wanted to be a part of that, just join in. I was going to say just ask. Don't even ask. Join in. We've got people who are doing this, and we welcome everybody who helps out with it. Um, this building was put here in 1983. Uh, that's, well, that's when it was finished. Uh, the work went on uh, quite a bit longer than that. But ever since then, there's things that have to be done. Any structure built in 1983 is going to need some work. It's going to need to be built up. It's going to need to be taken care of. There's going to be some upkeep that has to be done. What house doesn't need a little work now and then? In fact, the spiritual house that's represented by you, the people who take care of these structures and these facilities, that spiritual house also needs work. And that's what our verse in 1 Peter is getting at. That there's a building process that goes on there. I want to remind you of just a portion of this verse that we've been living with now for three weeks. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10, and just the first part of that says, As you come to Him, Christ, the living stone, He was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. As you come to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built. We're being built into a spiritual house with a purpose. And this spiritual house, like any house, also needs to be kept up. It needs to be built up. It needs to be repaired from time to time. It needs to be taken care of. And I don't mean our physical bodies as much as I mean the collective community that we are as the church. There's an English word, edification. You hear that word and you think of encouragement. You think of people building one another up. You think of people um, complimenting one another, uh, telling one another how they can grow, explaining to one another and showing support for one another. Edification. And it comes from a Greek word 
that means, the, means basically the same thing, but it has to do with a house. It has to do with a building. In fact, there's a whole range of words that have to do with taking care of a house, putting a house together. And it's such a prominent image that Peter is not the only one who uses that imagery of a building or a house or putting together a building. Paul also uses that imagery. So let's jump over to 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tells the Corinthian church that he and men like him are builders. That what they were building was a spiritual fellowship. They were building a community of people who had a purpose in praising God and glorifying Him. And then he compares the people to a building, just like Peter did, talking about us as living stones. He compares us to the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it's another important 3.16, you, Don't you, and by the way, the you here, I want you to hear it correctly, the you here is plural. So depending on your region of uh, your first language, you can substitute legitimately you all, you uns, you guys, yous, whatever it takes. But just get that second, that plural form of the second person there, okay? Don't you all realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy. And you, you all, you are that temple. You may have heard this verse before. You may have heard this verse many times. But does this sink in to us what's being said here? This imagery of the temple of God is being used to give us a sense of who we are. This this verse, did you notice, this says something extremely important about our identity. It says something extremely important about our unity as the people of God. It's pretty plain. You know, there's a show on, uh, I mean, this tells you who you are, and there's a show that's popular these days, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called, Who Do You Think You Are? Celebrities go back, they research their genealogy, they find out who they are. Well, who do you think you are? As members of the Lord's church, as disciples of Christ, who do you think you are? And I know that can sound like an insult, you know, we can... We can ask that to someone who's being a little too arrogant. Who do you think you are? We don't really want an answer to that question when we ask it like that. We don't want to know who they think they are. We're going to tell them who we think they are and and that they're not who they think they are. But it is a good question to ask as God's people, who are we? Really, who are we? And where do we begin? Where do we get the answer to that? Are we people who signed up for a club? Are we people who own a tradition or a heritage? Are we just doing what our parents and grandparents have done? Are we fearful that if we don't get this right, that we're not going to pass the grade and get into heaven? Who are we? Well, Scripture answers that, 
And one of the things that's said here that's very significant in 1 Corinthians is that we are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives in us. You know, some preachers have uh, the congregation say things. I don't really go in for that kind of preaching, but I can't resist it. It's so important. I want these words to come out of your mouths. Will you say that with me? That I'm going to ask you to say, we are the temple of God. Say it with me. We are the temple of God. You just said that. That's not my idea. That's what Scripture says. Paul the Apostle identifies us as the temple of God. That next statement is, is really important. The Spirit, I want you to say the Spirit of God lives in us. Will you say that with me? The Spirit of God lives in us. I want you to own those two statements straight out of Scripture, straight out of God's Word. Because too often that can be seen as, hey, that's your lesson. That's a point you made. That's a point Benjamin made. That's a good point. Thank you for that lesson. Or I don't know where he's going with that. Whatever. I'm not worried about me and my preaching in this. I want you to own those statements. Because that's what Scripture says. That's who you are. We are the temple of God in which God's Spirit lives. Now think about that. When we see one another, the so what here then? I mean, if, if that's true, and John asked us, do we believe these things as we started our worship this morning? If we believe this, then there's some so what's. First of all, how should we then view one another? Notice the, the, the pronouns. They're very important. Not I am the temple of God. It's not phrased I am a part of the temple of God. We are the temple of God. So how then should we view one another? Another important question. How then should we view the church? What is the church? We'll get to this in a second. But the church is us. And we are the temple where God's Spirit lives. Last question. How then should we behave? Behavior comes into this because there's a purpose. There's a purpose for being the temple of God in which God's Spirit dwells. Peter mentions that in 1 Peter 2. Paul is saying that to the Corinthians. And by the way, Paul's message to the Corinthian church, he wants them to know who they are because he has a lot to say about the way they are supposed to behave and a lot to say about the way they are behaving. Because they're not, they haven't always been behaving like the temple of God. You know, how do we view one another? How do we view the church? Well, on this idea of viewing one another, I'm, I'm going to borrow a statement from, from C.S. Lewis. You know, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia fellow. Uh, everybody, everybody loves his children's stories. But he wrote some pretty deep stuff on lots of topics. And he, was a, he, he preached he has a sermon, it was turned into a book called The Weight of Glory. And you move through this statement that he's talking about things that matter, things that are immortal. And he corrects our thinking that it's not things like civilization or art or culture. These things are not immortal. 
But we tend to think of those things as being immortal. That you and I can come and go. But the culture thrives and survives. Or the civilization thrives and survives. You and I can come and go. We're just mortal creatures. But all of these grand ideas remain. He says, no, those are the things that will not last. Cultures, traditions, civilizations, the art that we create, those are the things that will not last. Even though we sometimes view those things, even great and grand principles and documents, things that we cherish as a people, things that we cherish as having great, you know, history is another thing that we say, that always lasts forever. We have to learn the lessons of history. But Lewis reminds us, you and I were created in the image of God. We are eternal creatures. And we have an eternal destiny that will either be with Him or will be apart from Him depending on how we view Him. You and I are eternal. Now think about that. That that doesn't mean to set us up as gods or to set us up as, as beings who are somehow have some power, but if contained in us is the image of God and the glory of Christ, then that means that right now you are in the presence of people who are destined for eternity. How do you view one another? I've shortened his statement, but what he says in his own way is he says, uh, you know, with some with some great humor and wit, he says, next to the blessed sacrament, and he's talking about the Anglican church communion, but the idea that somehow that bread and that wine becomes, becomes holy. And again, we do regard the communion and the bread and wine. We regard it with much respect, as we rightly should. But he says next to that, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Why? Because In Him also is Christ truly hidden. And I'm giving you the shorter version of this. But the idea makes sense. Well, that's C.S. Lewis. What about Scripture? Scripture says the Spirit of God lives in us. And how often do we treat things or objects as holy and meaningful, but we'll tear one another down? We'll mistreat one another. We'll abuse one another. We'll talk about one another in ways that we would never talk about the church. Isn't that interesting? We would never say anything bad about the church, but we would say things about one another. Well, what is the church? It's one another. And the Spirit of God residing within us. How do you view one another? How do we view the church? You may remember learning this. I don't see it as much, and I'm kind of glad. Now, let's see if my uh, crippled fingers can do this, okay? Uh, mm, That hurts. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open up the doors, and here's all the people. Anybody remember that one? It's wrong. It's not only wrong because I may not be able to pull my fingers apart now, but it's wrong because this is the people, but this is not the church. 
Neither is the church some institution apart from us. Neither is the church some concept. And it's natural that we tend to think that way because the reality of the church is so unique. And it it, it comes from God and it challenges us to think about things differently. You and I are accustomed to thinking of ourselves as part of a state government and part of a national government. We are used to institutions and entities like uh, the government or the military. And we attach ourselves to those things. Even things like the academy or our companies. Um, Even things like our our communities in a city. We attach ourselves to those things and yet at the same time we know that we can detach from them but they continue on. This is very similar to what Lewis was talking about when he's talking about civilizations and cultures and attitudes. We can connect ourselves to those things but we can also pull away. In the church it's not like that. In the church, you and I are the living stones that actually make up the church. And when one of those living stones is detached, the church is made less. But when others are added in, the church is built up. And we as those living stones can be built up or we can be torn down. How do we view the church? Do we view the church as something different than us? Or do we understand that we are the church, the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Him. That's the meaning behind our name, Church of Christ. You know, um, let me illustrate it like this, how important. And by the way, you can think, okay, fine, you've hit on some, some, you know, some points, I get it. What are you getting at? What are you getting at? I'm getting at what I think is, is just extremely important because the way that we view one another and the way that we view the church will determine how we behave we're getting more and more aware of the atrocities of isis they they've they've done horrible things among their many atrocities they've destroyed historic relics ancient treasures On August 24th, as you see in this picture, they destroyed the first century city and a temple in Palmyra in Syria. It was a pagan temple, Temple of Baal, but it it comes from the first century. It's an antiquity. And it's infuriating when you see these vandals and these murderers cause so much destruction, all because they have an ignorant and depraved assumption. The world is rightly outraged when these things happen. It's wrong. It's wrong for them to do stuff like that. It's even more wrong for them to murder the people who were working on this. It's wrong. Now that's easy to understand. It's a a terrible thing. It's even infuriating to discuss it right now, I know. And maybe even it stirs a little passion in you. Maybe even it stirs a little anger in you or some sadness or some disappointment. Good. Because why is it that something like this will stir that in us, but tearing up and ruining the temple of God, we can just pass that by and ignore it like it doesn't matter. As bad as that is, what about ruining the temple of God? How often do we break each other down? 
Even in the name of constructive criticism, even in the name of getting it right, we will break each other down. Do you know what you're breaking down? God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3 had some serious words about that. How often do we trash the church? I don't mean littering up the carpets here or any of that. That can all be replaced. That can all be fixed. You'll have to pay for it, but it'll all be fixed. But that's not the church. Remember the little play here. That's just the building. How often do we get upset because, well, the church leaders are doing this, or that group of people are doing that, or I don't like what they're doing. And, and we'll talk, and we'll, we'll trash them. You're ruining and tearing apart the temple of God. I know we get frustrated. I know we get upset. But God has given us better ways to deal with being upset and being frustrated. In fact, God says that he can transform that frustration into something good. If we will trust in Him. If we will turn to one another. The words of Paul, and I know this is kind of hard to catch. Anyone who destroys the temple of God, God will destroy. You don't have to know Greek to know how serious that statement is. Yes? Don't ruin the temple. As long as I've been in ministry, one of my concerns and one of the things that we've been taught over and over again is church growth, how to grow the church. Every decade, every year, there's a new plan to grow the church. There's a lot of good ideas out there. I don't want to dismiss them. There's great ideas. There's great stuff that's been done. I can tell you this, though. If the church, as Scripture says, and I hope you agree, if the church is living stones who come together wherein the Spirit of God dwells, then one of the way, you, you don't grow the church if you're also tearing it down. One of the biggest obstacles to church growth is church destruction. You cannot grow a church if we are also trying to deconstruct it. We might as well be putting TNT around the church and blowing it up. Don't ruin the temple. There is a better way. There is a better way. And so I'd like to invite you as we continue on this kind of thinking to do four things. First, build. Be a builder. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Build on, and first, know your foundation. Like Paul said, and by the way, not only does he use the building analogy, he also uses a farming analogy. And Paul is, is mixing his metaphors. Well, which is it, Paul? Is it farming? Is it building? Hey, he's the one who's inspired to write 1 Corinthians, so accept it. The point is, he could plant, Apollos could water, God gives the increase. Each and every person who comes along and uses the authority of God to build up the church and not to tear it down is building on the same foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. You can't build on any other foundation. Everything that we're doing here is about Christ. Uh, you know, we, we can look for a lot of different things that... that, that um, that we can attach ourselves to. And one of the things that's different about the church is that you and I are church. We don't attach ourselves to church. We attach ourselves to Christ. 
You're not baptized into the church. You're baptized into Christ. And He builds you up as His church. You can say that's a fine distinction. I say that's an important distinction. Because the foundation, the one and only foundation is Christ. Second thing I'd like to invite you to do is build up one another. Do good work. You know, we embody it right here. Prepare for works of service. I've left out part of that banner over there from Ephesians 4, haven't I? There's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of good works of service. But they ultimately all have one aim, to build up his body. There's that building word. Build one another up. How can we serve one another? How can we encourage one another? If, if truly we view one another as people made in the image of God, then how do we build them up? Even in our evangelism, you know, often our evangelism, we, we think of it, and this is not inappropriate, but we think of it as going out to share good news so that people can be saved from their sins. There's truth in that. But let me also add another truth to it. It's, the, it's like the two sides of a coin. In addition to that, we're sharing the good news that God calls people not just away from sin, but He calls them to a better life, the life He always intended. God has a purpose for your life. He doesn't just want you to be sin-free. He wants you to be spirit-filled. He wants you to live as the kind of person He always intended you and humanity to be. And one of the things that we do in the church is we take every opportunity to build one another up, to make a fine spiritual house that glorifies God. Third thing I'd like to invite you to do is to be the temple of God's Spirit. I'm not just talking about your physical body. In 1 Corinthians 6, he'll talk about your body, your physical body, being a temple of the Holy Spirit. But remember that in 1 Corinthians 3, it is the collective group. It's the plural you. When I say be the temple of God's Spirit, I'm asking all of you to come together. This moment that we call the, in, the, the, um, the invitation... We often make it so individual. It's not just the individual invitation. It's also an invitation for all of us. In fact, when we stand and sing here in a moment, let's just, let's just decide this today. We're all responding to the invitation today. How's that? We all got to come up front? Well, I don't know. Maybe some of you do. But as we stand and sing, we're going to be responding. And our response is going to be, that we're saying, you've said it already today, and I hope you believe it, that we are the temple of God. His Spirit lives in us. I think we can respond to that. And if we believe that to be true, then that determines how we ought to live. Be holy. Later on in 1 Peter, he makes it real simple. He says, you are to be holy as I am holy. He doesn't say to be holier than thou. He doesn't say to be self-righteous. He doesn't say you have to be holy to get into heaven. He says God's love has the power to change your life. And at those moments when you think, I'll never get better, I cannot do this. And those moments when you think, you know, I'm never going to overcome this sin problem. Hey, you know what? You're probably right. (laughs) Didn't expect that, did you? Uh, By yourself. But when the Spirit of God lives in you, 
you're going to be able to find resources that this world cannot imagine. And you're going to be able to find the encouragement of a people who are the temple of God, and you want to be a part of that. I can't explain it to you. I just can invite you to experience it. But it all begins with coming to the cornerstone. So while we stand, while we sing this song, let us resolve to be the temple of God's Spirit and build one another up. Building and being. Let's stand. Let's sing. Come forward if you want prayers or want to respond to the invitation of Christ.